Hello, Saints. Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. Living in depression, living in state of sadness is a choice. The only way out is to repent and to put your faith in Christ and your whole life into the hands of the one who gave you and gives you life and every breath you've ever breathed from your mother's womb and to serve him on his stated terms. That is the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Now, the world's band-aids have never and will never. They have never and they will never solve this issue with fallen mankind. You can't drug your way or counsel your way out of sin, which is the root of depression and every evil under the sun. Now, would you be surprised to hear me tell you that God wants you living not in depression, but in joy? Depression is the byproduct, if you will, of a heart that still has sin in it and is not vanquished. That sin is not vanquished. Remember Proverbs chapter 15, verse 15 lays it all out there. Look at this. All the days of the afflicted, that is those living in sin are evil. But he, that sounds like depression to me, included in evil, the word evil, all the days of the afflicted are evil. But in contrast, take a look. But he that is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Did you hear that? You can live afflicted all the days of your life if you wish. That's your choice. I can't make it for you. Or you could choose to do things God's way, which is going to result in a merry heart that is having a continual feast. I tell you what, when this verse, when I dug it out of the word of God many years ago, it absolutely changed my life. Do you realize that you don't have to remain living and unhappy? happy, miserable life? You don't. You can do things God's way. And Jesus said that his joy would remain in you if you did. Now, why does the Bible say Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness, joy, above all of his fellows in the book of Psalms and in uh, Hebrews chapter one? Why? Why was Jesus, why was it said of Christ himself that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above all of his fellows? In other words, Jesus had more joy than anyone who ever left the earth, excuse me, walked on the earth. Do you think there is a reason for that? Yeah, there's a direct reason. There's a cause and effect. This isn't rocket science, folks. Psalm 45, 7, which is also quoted in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9 of the Son of God. It says, thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy 
thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Hallelujah. So loving righteousness and hating wickedness is the foundation for a heart full of the oil and a life full of the oil of gladness. Do you realize that in the midst of everything that's going on in this world, and there's a lot of things flying in this last hour before Christ returns, that you, my friend, can be full of the love, the joy, the peace of God. Do you realize that? If we do things God's way, that's what's going to happen. Notice Hebrews 1, 9 is a quote of what I just read you out of Psalm, the prophetic utterance of Psalm 45, 7. Here's the fulfillment. Speaking of Christ, it says in Hebrews 1, 9, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, the Father, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above, notice the word above, thy fellows. You see, Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He was about the Father's business. I must be about my Father's business. Luke chapter 2, verse 49, even at 12 years old, and therefore he was full of the oil of gladness above all of his fellows. Everyone, above everyone, Jesus had the joy of the Father in his heart. So at this point, someone may be thinking, well, wait a minute, that was Jesus. What about me? Well, Jesus says right here in John 15, 11, these things have I spoken unto you. Now that's specifically the things that he just spoke to them, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it's also includes the whole of the word of God. These things have I spoken unto you. Why did he speak them unto us? Here it is, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So this tells us conclusively that Jesus Christ, and that's why I made the bold statement a minute ago, God wants you walking in the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 11, excuse me, it's 10, verse 8, verse 10, I believe. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The scripture says you can eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry for it. Don't give apology for it. Walk in it. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Think about that. Meditate upon that. Nehemiah 8, 8 through 10. This is when the elders read distinctly, quote unquote, directly out of the word of God and gave the sense. They merely gave the sense. They didn't change the meaning or twist it, but they gave the sense of what the scriptures that they just read stated as a direct transmission from heaven. We need a whole lot more of this kind of expository preaching, some would call it, or just reading the Bible itself. You know, you got so many pastors that will talk about a scripture here or there and just sprinkle them in through their hour sermon, but they're not just preaching out of the full counsel of God in an honest way and given the sense of what the scripture states, which is all that really matters. And that's why it's so important for you to read and study the word of God yourself, beloved. So they read out of the book of the law, the Bible. That's the Porsche, That's the Bible, the books of Moses they had up to that point. Now we got 66. Now they only had five and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. They helped them understand. That's what ministry is about, giving people God's word, not your word or any version of it, but giving God, if you're English speaking, the King James Bible and giving, helping them through scripture because we interpret scripture with scripture to understand it. And then 
then it says in verse 10, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. In other words, with the overflow of the bounty of the Lord that you just received from the word of God, go your way, eat the fat, enjoy it, eat on the fat, and drink the sweet, man. Just enjoy the blessed truth of God and the joy of the Lord, and then give it to others. You know, Jesus said, freely you have received, so freely give. The psalmist, that's Matthew 10, 8, and then Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. Man, if you're under the spout where the glory comes out, if you will, you're abiding in Christ, thanking God, seeking God, obeying God, worshiping Jesus Christ as the first love of your life with no idols, then you're being filled with him. Jesus said it himself. He said, they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Do you want to be filled? How would it even be possible to be being filled by Christ as you seek the Lord? Matthew 5, 6. Seek, it tells us that those who seek the Lord will be full. They will be absolutely full of the Lord himself. They shall be filled. They that do hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. And if you're being filled, you're going to be full of the fruit of the Spirit, which includes joy. In fact, it's the second dimension of the fruit of the Spirit, if you will, or maybe the first dimension of the first fruit, which is love. Some believe it. you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love. God is love. And when you're full of Him and you're walking with Him, you're going to have love. And then the eight other are dimensions of love. I couldn't argue with that. It doesn't matter anyway. They're all nine listed for us. And the second one listed is joy. Amen. You know, joy is contagious. Joy is contagious. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I don't know about you, beloved, but you know, I grew up religious. I didn't hear the word of God other than true Christians from outside the Catholic Church, because the Catholic Church doesn't have the word of God at all anyway, would speak the word to me. Other than that, what I saw in believers, what I saw was a real love, joy, and peace that I didn't have. And I knew inside, I want that because why? Everybody wants that. So when, when we're talking about your cup overflowing, that doesn't necessarily mean you're standing on a street corner preaching. And God bless those who do. I've done a lot of street ministry myself, and I love it. But you know, that light shining wherever you are and whoever you're among is such a powerful witness. See, the overflow of God in your life is what's going to affect other people. And when you're under the spout where the glory comes out, if you will, I believe there was an old song. I don't think I've ever sang it, but I like that little term because it really coins what we're talking about. When you're abiding in Christ, you've been born again. You have no, you're not allowing any sin to go unconfessed. You're continually as needed repenting, which means returning to God. You're abiding in Christ. John chapter 15 that we just read out of the joy, the love, joy, and peace of God and all the other fruit of the spirit are overflowing out of your life and people are going to want to know what you got. Amen. These things, Jesus said, have I spoken after talking about and while talking about abiding in him and bearing fruit, more fruit and much fruit. He said these things that is specifically about abiding in him. Have I spoken unto you? Why? That my joy. Now, we just read that Jesus had the oil of gladness, which is equivalent to joy, the joy of the Lord above all of his fellows. Jesus had more joy than anybody that ever walked the earth. And now he's telling us if we will obey him, that my joy, quote, might remain in you. That's his desire. It's his stated desire. And that your joy might be 
full. You know, some of us have a picture of God as some kind of an angry old man. You know, it's only the word of God that can remove that corrupted false imagery of God. I mean, in the next chapter, the Lord says in chapter 16, verse 23 and 24, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Now, why would he say that if he didn't want your joy to be full? The only way his joy is going to be full in you is that if you do things his way, not your way, it's real simple. It's real simple. Those who are wise in their own conceit and they introduce human reasoning instead of just going by what God's word said, humbling themselves, repenting, laying down their life and just humbly obeying Jesus like a little innocent child obeys his father and mother. Those people are going to remain cursed. But those who stop today in repentance and talk to the Lord, confess your sins. He already knows them all. He wants to clear them and clear you completely so that you have a clear, clean conscience and uh, wash you clean in the blood of the Lamb and by the water of His Word. It's only then that you're going to experience the clean heart uh, full of joy and love that God ordained you to walk in, and He will give that to you. He wants to. He tells us right here that He wants His joy to remain in you and that your joy might be full, not only to be in you here or there, but to remain perpetually in you. And as you abide in Christ perpetually, get a vision of continuing to walk with the Lord, not having to stumble and trip up all the time as if that's necessary. That's always a choice because that happens when you sin. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 1 John 2, 2. Now notice he didn't say when you sin. He says, if any man sin, God provided his salvation plan to take care of that. But, you know, some act like and speak like it's impossible not to sin. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You know, someone once said, and I believe this bears itself out biblically, that if you're a Christian, you're not necessarily going to be sinless, but you sure are going to sin less. You know, if you are continuing to live in sin, it's because you're not abiding in Christ. And to abide in Christ is not some mysterious thing. It's simply obeying the cross message of Christ. Get down on your knees, get down on your face before God in a spiritual posture more than a physical and announce to him today your utter poverty and that you are returning to him and that he alone is the Lord and the king of your life and that he alone sits upon the throne of your heart. Turn it all over to him today, beloved. Tell the Lord, you must increase, but I must decrease. I am crucified with Christ. Into your hands, I commend, I submit my spirit, dear Lord. You're going to feel a weight lifted when you pray those words of scripture. That's what they were to the Lord today. And you return afresh to him. The Bible says to return unto me, the Lord said, Hosea 14, beginning in verse one, and bring words before me. In other words, just confess your sin and confess how much you love him and you need him afresh. God is calling someone to come home to daddy. Amen. Just like the prodigal son. And when he did, all of his righteousness and blessings were restored to him. God is a God of restoration. Luke 15 paints that picture beautifully in a concentrated fashion. All three of the parables point to that truth. But yet God's not going to arbitrarily or automatically refresh and bless anyone. No, the Lord is not available to the casual seeker. You've got to seek his face and do things his way. Isn't that simple? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord, not yourself, but in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thy own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Also, 
Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, we normally hear verse 11. We seldom hear the rest of the passage, but let me read it from verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace. Here it is again. That's another fruit of the Spirit. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, are what? Love, joy, and peace. The first three is all we're dealing with specifically right now. Now we've already seen joy. When you love the Lord, that's the first one. You're going to be full of the joy of the Lord, and you're going to have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and those who don't have peace don't know and are not abiding presently in the Prince of Peace. Because when you abide in Him, you are full of His love, His joy, His peace. And to the contrary, the Scripture says in the same book of Isaiah 57, 21, there is no peace, no peace, saith my God to the wicked. If you have no peace, it could be because you're wicked. That doesn't mean that believers don't go through rough seasons and trials and temptations that they have to battle through, fighting the good fight of faith, which is always a test to see who we love most, God or ourselves. So this doesn't preempt those times of struggle and toil and grappling. There has to come those times. There has to be a test in order for there to be a testimony as God brings you through it. And your duty is to stay upon the Lord your God. Amen. I believe that's Isaiah 64, 7. Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. There's a good end, an eternally blessed end coming for those who endure to the end, those who are born again and remain in Christ to the end. Also, at the end of your trial, there's going to be a blessing. Amen. At the end of the season of tribulation, James 1.12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. In other words, when he comes through it, when God brings him through it as he trusts in the Lord, that's what we must ask ourselves. What are we doing when we're being tested and tried and things are coming upon our lives and that cause us to toil and despair and be in a battle? We must worship the Lord. You know, like Job 13, 15, Job said, though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. Is that what you can declare today? Let me tell you, it took me years to begin to get this. And don't even think I'm intimating in any fashion that I've totally arrived because I'm walking this alongside of you as your brother in Christ, as we worship our King who's coming soon, Jesus Christ, a nail-scarred, risen Savior who bled on the cross, shedding his blood to purchase us back to the Father and himself. Thank you, Lord Jesus, afresh. Amen. But I tell you what, the Lord has graciously allowed me to progress much in this. I have suffered seasons of great testing. And many times I found myself, I don't know about you, saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen? But God had a good purpose in it. And my heart is so much more established now that he's allowed, he's blessed me to be tried and walk through things. You know, I wouldn't be as settled and blessed, not even close. I wasn't before I went through these trials. Now, I didn't always succeed through them perfectly. Maybe some of you have. I had to do some laps in the desert, but I believe God was saying in those times, are you going to worship me no matter what, my beloved son? Are you going to worship me no matter what? Are you going to say with beloved Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? And like we read in Haggai, though there's nothing there, though I have nothing, yet I'm going to trust you, Lord, right? Was that Habakkuk? That was Habakkuk, wasn't it? I believe it's at the end of chapter three. Here it is, verse 17, Habakkuk 317. Although the fig tree 
tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive tree shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. In other words, men, there's no crop growing. The cows are all gone, I guess you could say, of the lambs that we eat, or the pigs, whatever you like to eat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. I will, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. There it is spiritually right there, and ultimately in eternity with him. But he, not you, he will make me to walk upon mine high places. But that it involves you, and that involves you as you abide in him and do things his way. And then he finishes with this, to the chief singer on my stringed instrument, which means he was praising God with this declaration. Hallelujah. You know, you can praise your way right out of a depression. Depression happens. We see people like in the Bible, like, you know, comes to mind Elijah. He was depressed, basically said, Lord, just kill me, man. Take me out of here. You ever been there? I have. And if you walk with God long enough, you're going to be there probably. And the Lord is gracious through those times. But you can praise your way. You can literally praise your way out of depression. That would mean that your heart would be full of joy instead of depressed. And the Bible says, I believe it's Psalm 122.6, is it? That God inhabits the praises of his people. Now, how is God going to inhabit your praise and be filling your heart and there's still going to remain depression? Not going to happen. Impossible. So First Peter chapter 5, verse 10, just such a incredible Bible verse. Absolutely incredible. I want you to look at this. I want you to go in your Bible and underline it, maybe highlight it. Remember where it is too. So you can always go back to it for yourself and others. Whenever you're reading, attach the reference is my encouragement to you so that you begin to learn more and more. You're navigating, you're able to functionally navigate the Word of God on any and every topic in the Bible, which covers the gamut of all that we need in this life. All things that pertain unto life and godliness are found in the exceeding great and precious promises of the Word of God. First Peter 5.10, but the God of all grace, don't you love it? He's the God of all grace. Isn't that a blessing? For by grace are you saved, right? So First Peter 5.10, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after, not before, but notice, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, that means mature. Notice what's going to happen after you suffer a while as you worship God through those trials. There's going to be four things that happen in your life, and they're going to be a blessing to you. Make you, he's going to make you perfect or more mature, perfected, more closer to perfection. Establish the old English, I love it, with just an S. Establish, he's going to establish you. Hallelujah. Strengthen, settle you. Four things, and it makes a natural acronym, P-S-S-S. Perfect. God is going to perfect you. He's going to establish you. He's going to strengthen you, and he's going to settle you. Settle you. You're going to be settled. You're going to be able to enjoy this life as you look for the soon return of Christ with the abiding fruit of the Holy Spirit in you as you're abiding in Christ. Love, joy, peace, right? Long-suffering, gentleness, 
goodness, etc. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. That's what you're going to see in the life of a true abiding saint. You're going to see one who's full of joy, full of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That's the nine dimension of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And Jesus said, you shall know them. How? By their fruit, right? You're going to know people by their fruit. You're going to know them by their fruit. So we're talking in summation here about rejoicing in the Lord, being full of the joy of the Lord, no matter what we go through. And in this life, we're going to have tribulation, Jesus said. In fact, the scripture says, Paul said, Acts 14, 22, that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of conflict. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. The violent take it by force. How do you do that? Well, you secure the ground of your heart. That's the number one battlefield. Not conquering all of America's, the things that ail America or even the church at large, but uh, God holds you personally responsible for battling to guard your own heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. You keep that land tilled. You keep it pliable, teachable. You keep it a heart of flesh and never allow it to be stony. We're new creatures in Christ. That's preaching and speaking, referring to Ezekiel 36, 24 through 26 about God when he saves us, gives us a heart of flesh and takes away that stony heart and all of the stony places in it, which come according to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, that come from sin. When we allow sin in our lives, our hearts begin to be hardened. You know, I told somebody recently, we were talking about shedding a tear. I mean, I said, look, man, I'm really concerned whenever I go any length of time without being God touching my heart. I know many of you relate and you know what I'm talking about. When I see something that's very touching and it should be about people or God touching somebody's life or, you know, in this world, we do see those things, especially with social media. God forbid that I can't shed a tear. Personally, I get concerned about that. Not that it's something I'm frantic or fearful about, but it's kind of an indication that God is working in your heart when it's a pliable and it's a heart of flesh and able to be moved emotionally. Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the people as he walked out among the people in the town. He was moved with compassion when he saw that they were as sheep gone astray who needed a shepherd. That's at the end of Matthew 9. And may God bless you and I to have hearts of flesh. Let's come in for a landing here. James 1, 2 through 4. I just want to read this in the mix here. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials. Wow. Have you come to that point? I don't know that I have yet. Personally, many of you may have already reached this point, but I want to be one who celebrates when a trial hits. Diverse temptations. You know, they always have a different flavor to them. You ever notice that? The trials. Temptations here means trials. So we're to count it all joy. Count it all joy. Man, throw your hands up and give God some glory. Have a little praise fit or festival. And why can you do that? There's so many reasons why. And some of them we're talking about and touching on here today. God's going to do a work in and through you. That alone is reason to count it all joy when the next trial hits. Amen. God's trying to bless you by the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be more and more dead and buried with Christ. That ought to make us rejoice because that means he's going to raise us up. And perhaps we can observe that the depth of your death and burial 
is going to determine the height of your resurrection, the power of God raising you up and using you for his glory in this life. So count it all joy. Also, we just read four good reasons that attribute that can be added to this list. I mean, the list is probably endless as to why we should begin to rejoice and count it all joy when we fall into the next trial, when the next trial hits. We're in James 1, 2 right now. And what are those four things out of 1 Peter 5, 10? We're going to be perfected, man. God's going to mature us. We're going to grow in grace, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Amen. I love being around people that have been through something. And like me, they stumbled and tripped all along the way. They didn't immediately obey God and get everything perfect. Now, some of you may have, and that's good. Praise God. Call me up. Tell me how you did it. Or I can just announce my own rebellion that I wasn't, you know, coinciding with the word of God and saying, wait a minute. He said to count it all joy. Jesus said he was going to purge you so that you bring forth more fruit right there in John 15, where we were just reading, where he says that speaking of his joy, that his joy is going to remain in you. And how does that happen? Through abiding. And that includes him purging you. Why is God purging you and allowing things to happen? Because he wants to see more fruit in your life. He wants to bless you even more. He wants to perfect you, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And many of you know, like I do on a personal testimonial level, that I was not peaceful and made whole inside. There were some things that needed to be stripped out of me because we're all of the iniquitous fallen nature, folks. Even us all that are new creatures. And that stuff has to be stripped out of you. And it happens through your daddy, the father, chastening you, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Man, if you got a sore hiney, it's because God loves you, if you know what I mean, figuratively speaking. Let's see, Proverbs 3.12, Hebrews 12, beginning in about verse 5. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, man. What a blessing. Thank you for chastening me, Jesus. I worship you no matter what it looks like. Thank you for what you're doing in this life that is not mine, it's yours. Have your way in me, Lord, as that song says. Amen. So count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials. Just start learning. I'm talking to myself, by the way. I need to start learning. Just rejoice. This or that trouble hit. Good. Praise you, Lord. You're up to something good because all things work together for the good to them that love God and are the called according to his birth. Notice all things are not good. He didn't say they were all good. He said all things work together for good to those that love God. Why? Because he's orchestrating them and he's sovereignly in control of them. And what is he doing? The next verse, verse 29, Romans 8. He is conforming you to the image of his son. That's why those things are allowed in our lives. So brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse or different kinds of variety of temptations or trials. Knowing this, we should know this. You ready? Knowing what? Here it is. That the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. God wants to make us perfect and entire, mature and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. Isn't God good? Back to, we didn't even start reading it. You ever notice how we've been bouncing here? Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Yeah, we did read this one. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. In other words, I got the end product in mind, beloved. Just trust me right where you are. Don't take any thought for the morrow. Sufficient unto the day of the evil is the evil thereof. Just simply seek first my kingdom. Wait upon me. Seek unto me. Commune with me continually. Stay upon thy God. Verse 12, Jeremiah 29. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall 
seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. In other words, I'll set you free. And I will gather you from the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. So notice here that God is saying that he's going to set us free and gather us back to himself. And the key is verse 13, perhaps, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. In other words, that I become your all in all, not just what I bless you with, but to know me and to abide in me, to seek me and to be found in me, to find me. And you shall, when you shall search for me with all your heart. We got to ask ourselves, are we seeking the Lord with all of our hearts? Seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face continually. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11. And then also first Chronicles 22, 19 speaks of, here it is. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord, your God. Arise therefore and build the sanctuary of the Lord God and to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. Amen. And we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temples of the Holy Spirit. And we are to set our heart and our soul to seek the Lord our God and seek him with our whole heart, as the scripture tells us in other places. And that's what God's after. And he is testing us to see if we will turn to him and remain in him, whether things are rough or smooth in our lives, just because we love him. To love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself is an overflow and a product of truly loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we're not worshiping and loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it'll be clear because we will be lacking love, joy, peace, and also long-suffering and temperance, etc., and goodness toward our neighbors. And that's like that red indicator light on our dashboard as we're driving that's telling you, you better pull over and get some oil or water in your motor engine because there's going to be problems if you don't. Speaking of whole heart, that term, two words, whole heart, appears 13 times in the Bible. One of them is Psalm 9, verse 1. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Amen. When we worship the Lord with a whole heart, he's going to bring through us marvelous works, his marvelous works. Remember, Jesus told us that. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. That's the work of God in you and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Same principle here. When we worship the Lord, as the psalmist said here, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. You know, perhaps we should pray today something like this. Father, make my heart whole. Lord, it's fragmented from sin and all kinds of other things in this fallen world. I'm asking you to make my heart whole from the inside out, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, so that I can worship you with an undivided heart. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a Bible prayer for you to pray today. If you feel inclined and led, my friend, that God would give you a whole heart, that's why Jesus came to heal the broken in heart. And what do we know about that? Well, if you're broken in heart, you're not whole in heart. He wants to make you whole in heart. Luke 4.18, Jesus stating his mission, as was prophesied in Isaiah 61, I believe, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And why? Because he hath anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. That's not the poor financially. 
really necessary. The poor in spirit, those that will receive, those who are impoverished and will acknowledge it. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. What would that mean? And when Jesus heals a broken heart, that heart is now whole. Somebody might say, well, brother, I already got saved. Yeah, but there's some work that God is doing in our lives, every one of us, and will be continuing to do until we're with him in heaven. And that will be to make our hearts whole, to heal the brokenness in our heart. Only God can do that. You can't reach into my heart and go, here you go. I'm going to put some oil and some medicine on that heart to make it heal, brother. You can't do that for yourself either, can you? No, only God can do that. And it's a good thing to pray. Again, 13 times we see the words whole heart in the Bible. And Paul says and prayed that we'd be made whole spirit. That involves your heart, soul, and body. First Thessalonians 5.23. So Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was upon him and it anointed him because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's for you right there, friend. To preach deliverance. There it is again. Deliverance sets you free from your captivity. We just read that in Jeremiah 29. See the consistency of the word of God. To preach deliverance to the captives, those that are in prison, to sin or whatever else. And recovering of sight to the blind, to open their eyes. That's what will happen. Your eyes, the onion will be, will continue to be peeled, if you will. Layers of darkness and shades will come off your understanding and you'll be less and less blind in this life as you continue to seek the Lord and stay upon the Lord your God. To set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Luke 4, 18 and 19. We've got a message on safeguardyoursoul.com I want to call your attention to. It's called Depression Cannot Exist in a Singing Saint. We talked about earlier about praising your way through and eventually out of depression. Let me say this. that How do you, you that are parents, when you see your child depressed, doesn't that concern you? Of course it does. It greatly concerns us when we see our child depressed. And so we do what it takes to try to help them through it. And that's what God's doing with us. First of all, he wants us to realize that he fully intends for us to walk in his joy. Jesus would have never said what we read in John 15, 11, folks, if he didn't want us to walk in the joy that he walked in while he was on earth, which is the oil of gladness above even all of his fellows. No one that ever walked the earth had more joy than Jesus, more gladness. Ultimately, he's called a man of sorrows in his crucifixion and, you know, the testing that he endured leading up to that. But overall in his life, he had great joy, the scripture says. And he says that he wants his joy, my joy, might remain in you. He's spoken these things in the word of God. If we'll obey them and hearken to them, stop having to go read all the little flowery sayings on social media and just read the Bible for ourselves. Hello. Because all of that little pump, rah, rah, pom-pom stuff is surface level. It has never changed your life and never will. You got to get your own eyes on the word of God and let them not depart from thine eyes, quote unquote, Proverbs 4, 20 through 23. And that's essential for keeping your heart with all diligence. And when you're keeping your heart, you're tilling the soil of it. It's going to be full of the joy of the Lord, no matter what's going on in your life. And the joy of the Lord is going to be your strength and he's going to carry you through with great joy. You're going to come forth rejoicing. So Jesus assured us that he wanted his joy to remain in us, John 15, 11. And he also assured that he wanted our joy, that is in abiding in him to be full. Then he says in the next chapter, John 16, 22, and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. In other
other words, you're going to be with me eternally and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. Amen. No man can take away the joy that God puts in your heart as you abide in Christ and you seek the Lord in his strength and seek his face continually walking with him as the first love of your life. Before we move on and finish this message, I want to call your attention to John 14 through 16. We have taken verses out of two of these three chapters. I want to encourage you to read those this week. John 14 through 16. There's so many truths embedded in this absolutely incredible three chapters. Absolutely incredible. They're going to change your life, some of which we talked about in this message. And they're going to begin to stand out to you because we have already talked about them. Amen. Think about it. Every person who is not born again and presently living in the spirit instead of the flesh, in an abiding relationship with Christ is miserable, is depressed instead of full, being full of the glory and the joy of Christ. As we sum up this whole message that we've been communing over in the word of God today, remember that the joy of the Lord is your strength and that the Lord wants you to be overflowing with his joy, to have a continual feast. We began with that verse in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, I believe it is, about the continual feast that God wants you to have. Proverbs 15, 15, actually. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he, that they can be nothing but miserable because the way of transgressors is hard, or the way of the transgressor is hard, the book of Proverbs says, right? But he that is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Is that what you want, friend? If you will continue and continually seek the Lord, you will be full of the joy of the Lord. It's just that simple. The way of transgressors is hard, book of Proverbs. But he that is of a merry heart has a continual feast, chapter 15, verse 15. Let's close in a prayer, beloved. Heavenly Father, I'd like to walk in your blessed joy, Lord, we would, all of us who are yours, filling our lives overflowing no matter what is transpiring. To be able to say with Paul that though I had much or little, I learned to be content because I have everything because I have you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask you to do your deeper work in our hearts, in our lives. Establish us, Lord. Cause us to count it all joy when all kinds of negative, bad things happen to us. We're slandered or we lose someone or trials hit of diverse kinds. Help us, Lord, to count it all joy, knowing that your hand is upon us and you have a deeper work to do in us, God. We can trust you, Lord. Help us increase our faith. Set us apart. Set our lives apart to glorify you alone, that we be full of the fruits of your righteousness, including having a heart full of gratefulness and thanksgiving toward thee and overflowing with your love, joy, and peace. In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, It's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of 
any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.